us here occasionally, and uh, glad that you're here today. And uh, as Blake was standing here, and I thought he nodded at me, so that's why I got up and started to interrupt their singing. I was the, that was my mistake. Later on, he had to really look at me and say, okay, Calvin, now it's your turn. So, oh, man, uh, best laid plans. So that's the way it goes sometimes. Today is, oh, and I forgot my... Uh, uh, this is family worship. So the kids have got, they've got a better bulletin than the adults. Uh, see, it's got color and stuff on it like that. Uh, so kids, if you are going to be uh, listening today, I hope you are, uh, on the back here, one or on one side of it, it says, uh, I'm going to be talking about a shepherd today. That's the word that we're looking at. And if you want to draw a picture of some sheep or a shepherd or anything, I would love to see that picture after the service. I'll be sitting down here. So if you want to, if you have time, if your parents, you know, sometimes you have to scoot off to go to other things. But if you have time, I would love to see a picture that you drew. So do that. And also, kids and adults, you can do this as well. Uh, I'm going to be talking several different things. But one of the words I'm going to use more towards the latter part of the sermon is the word welcome. So when I start using that word welcome, you may want to jot down just how many times I say that, you know, just one, two, three, and then the five kind of thing, or however you want to do that. Uh, it would be kind of a fun thing for you kids to do or adults to do. And adults, if you want to draw a picture, I'll, you know, I'll look at it too, you know, so that would be cool. Uh, so, and then on the other side, kids, there's some other fun stuff for you to do that's related to the theme of the sermon. So just wanted you to be aware of that. Oh, by the way, kids, are there any kids that need to get one? I can't quite see. There's a kid that needs to get one. Uh, if somebody in the back, somebody, one of the deacons, go back there and grab some of these and pass those out to whoever needs one. Uh, David, could you run and do that for me? Oh, oh wait, there, there, Andy's got them. Andy, if anybody needs one, Andy's got them right there. We'll pass them out because I, I don't. If you want one, you sure can get one. Uh, so just lift your hand up, and Andy and David will get those to you. So get that squared away here. So we're starting this series. We're talking about a shepherd today. Next week, we'll talk about kind of a combination of redeemer and servant together. Then the, the week after that, we're going to have another special, really cool service, and folks are coming in to lead us in that. You'll, you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. And then, of course, Emmanuel and Messiah, that'll be Christmas Eve and, and as we're meet leading up to Christmas. So these various uh, themes of who Christ is we're going to be looking at during the Christmas season. So today we're going to be looking at a concept of Christ being our shepherd. Now what we're going to do in just a second, I'm going to transition into a, a character, if you will, uh, a shepherd named Benjamin. And uh, as he is going to tell his story, I want you to be listening to some of the questions that Benjamin is asking. Because in a sense, some of the questions that he asks, you might be asking as well in your own life about Jesus being a shepherd. My name is Benjamin. And I'm a shepherd in Israel. Now, shepherds are, uh, well, we're just kind of the lowest of the low. The only ones lower than a shepherd are lepers, and, and there's no one lower than leopards. But we shepherds are, 
are some of the lower people in our nation. And there's an old saying in Israel, if you walk where sheep walk, it's hard to keep your feet clean. And uh, in Israel, it's important to be clean when you go to worship. And we shepherds have difficulty in keeping clean. But I, uh, I like being a shepherd. I like sitting outside in the even the cool evenings and looking up at the stars so clear and bright, especially when there's no clouds and you can see all the stars and the moon so crisp. It always makes me wonder, why can't I be like that? Why can't I be clean inside and crisp and, and, and right before God? So in some ways, it was always a pleasure to look up into the night sky but in other ways, it reminded me of my own impure heart. And I wonder, how, how could I be accepted before God? He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. And it's not what he wants. So I often wondered, how can I be accepted before God? Well, I understand that, that you're celebrating a season of the Messiah coming. That's wonderful. And it's a pleasure to talk to you today because, you see, I was there the night that he was born. We were out on the hillside, just the other side of, of a hill from Bethlehem. It was Nathan and myself and, and Eliezer and Heber were off with the sheep, and Nathan and I were at the, at the fire. And Nathan... Nathan talked a lot. <laughs> I mean, after all, when, when you're a shepherd, there's not much to do watching the sheep. And so Nathan would talk a lot, and, and, and he thought a lot. You know, we shepherds, we, 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 uh, we don't know very much. But what we know, we think about a great deal. And, and Nathan would talk. Nathan loved to talk about the prophets, the prophet Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah and Micah. He loved the fact that the Messiah was going to be a shepherd, <laughs> like us, the Messiah, a shepherd. And he talked about the fact that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, just over that hill. <laughs> he would talk on and on into the night. And that night it was a bit cool, and Nathan was talking, and Eliezer and Heber were off with the sheep, and you could hear their flutes playing kind of quietly keeping the, she the sheep quiet and, and calm in the night. And as we were s sitting around, the standing around the fire, I, I noticed there was a, a different shadow that my, my staff was casting. And it wasn't a shadow from the fire. And, th and then I realized what there, there was this light. It was bright, and then in the midst of this light, after our eyes became accustomed to it, there, there was a man, and, and he spoke. And he said to fear not, because he had tidings of great joy that was to be for all people. And I couldn't help but wonder if it was for all people, why would he come to a few shepherds out in the middle of a field? There's no one else around here. But he, he went on, and he said, that today there would be born in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior who was, who was Christ the Lord. 
That was the Messiah, and the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Nathan was right. The prophets were right. And then the sky was filled with more angels or whatever they were, and they were, they were shouting and, and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And, and then they, they were, were gone. And Heber and, and Eliezer had come over from the sheep, and, and we looked at each other, and we, we need to go. We need to go because the angel said that there would be a, a baby be wrapped in cloths, which babies are, but, but a baby lying in a manger. And we began discussing this amongst ourselves. How, how could the Messiah be born in the manger? And, what, and we began to look at it. Well, let, let's go see. Let's go see if they're it. And we looked for Nathan, and Nathan was gone already. <laughs> he had already headed towards Bethlehem. So we, we went and followed Nathan. And sometimes it was hard to follow Nathan, but this time we, we knew where he was going. And, and we went and where, where would we find a manger? Well, in a stable. There were many stables, we thought, but maybe the stable next to the inn. So we passed the inn and went around the back of it to where the stable was. And sure enough, there there was a fa- a man, a, a wife, a, I guess, and we walked in and we saw we we saw a manger, a, a feeding trough. I guess that was the only place they they could put the baby. But we walked in and and we saw this little child wrapped as babies were wrapped back then, and. It was like any other child in some ways. But this was the child that the angel spoke of. And his mother and I I guess his father were there and we we didn't say anything. What what was there to say? That this this child would grow up to be the Messiah? Well, we left there and by then, the, the sun was beginning to come up, and there was a few people stirring around the city, and we began to tell them, you need to hear what has happened. We saw angels. They appeared to us, and in, in this stable, in this manger, that's where the, the Christ is born. That's where the Messiah is born. And we told everyone that we could tell, and, and then we went back, of course, to take care of our sheep, and they somehow were, were still together, and Heber and Eliezer went back to, to play the flute and to calm them down, and Nathan and I were around the fire again, and and I began to wonder what what kind of Messiah was he going to be? If he was going to be a shepherd, what kind of shepherd would he be? Now, there were good shepherds and there were bad shepherds. I mean, some shepherds I've seen, well, they didn't seem to care at all for the sheep. They wouldn't warn them about, about danger. They wouldn't, wouldn't care for them like they should. Now, you see, in Bethlehem, this time of year, when it's rainy and, 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 and there's, uh, the soil is, while it's filled with rocks, it still is, is somewhat unstable. There's a lot of sand, and, and sometimes ravines would, would form where the water would flow. 
And if you weren't careful, when you had the sheep, a, a sheep could get right next to those ravines, those crevices, and because the soil was weak, they would slip and fall down into the ravine. Now, there were some shepherds, they didn't really care. Yeah, we got plenty of sheep, but we lose one, no big deal. And they wouldn't care for the sheep at all. They would just go on their way, sometimes just leave them down there. Uh, but then there were other kinds of shepherds. There were good shepherds. And those good shepherds would, would come and they would warn the sheep not to get too close to the, the crevices and, and the, the ravines so they wouldn't fall down in there. But inevitably the sheep would fall down in there. And those bad shepherds, sometimes they would just leave them down there. But the good shepherds, oh, they would make their way down into that crevice, down into that ravine. They would go down with the sheep where the sheep was. And they would get, have to, to crawl over rocks and they'd be bruised. And, and the thorns sometimes would, would poke them in the head. And, and they would get hung up on a tree sometime. But they would get down in there and they would rescue that sheep and bring that sheep back up to safety. And I wondered, what kind of shepherd would the Messiah be? Hopefully a good shepherd. But I wonder what he would do and what he would be like. And to answer that question, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to see in Matthew chapter 11 some of the answers to Benjamin's questions about what this Messiah, this shepherd Messiah, would be like. So look at it with me. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. We're going to look at a couple of verses there and look at a couple of verses at the end of the chapter. And we're going to skip over some verses in the middle, but I'll explain why we're going to do that in just a bit. Let's look at it there because his questions are important. What is Jesus the Messiah like? And there's a lot of different views out there, a lot of views that, that are inaccurate. Okay, he's a good shepherd, but what is a good shepherd? Is he a flannel graph kind of thing that Blake talked about? Oh, he's so much more than that. But let's look at this. When I first started working on this sermon, I was going to just look at verses 28 down to 30 which talks about him being a gentle and welcoming kind of shepherd. But there's more to the story than that. And I think God wants us to look at a, a bigger picture today about what Jesus as the Messiah shepherd is like. Verse 20, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now, well, wait, wait. Jesus is doing what? He's denouncing? Now, uh, you probably have not used that word very often. You probably didn't say when you got up this morning, I think I'm going to denounce somebody today. You probably have never said, I denounce somebody. But we do it all the time. When we publicly point out some kind of shortcoming or some kind of evil or some kind of wrong in something else or somebody else, you ever stand in a line at a grocery store and say, they need to have more cash register people going here. This is not right. 
or, you know, the government. You know, you got to denounce the government. They're doing something wrong. That's what denouncing is. It's publicly stating that someone or something is wrong. Well, Jesus is denouncing. He is saying these cities that he's been in, he's denouncing them because they saw his miracles, but they didn't repent. Now, it's fascinating. Why is it that he says he began to denounce the cities? He didn't say he began to denounce individuals in the city. He denounced the city as a whole. It's almost like he was saying, I'm going to denounce this city. And by the way, if the shoe fits, wear it. Not all of you are denouncing me. But there are some, perhaps the majority of people that are rejecting him. So he, he has this broad statement that these cities were denouncing, where he denounced these cities because they didn't repent. But he was, in a sense, leaving room for individuals to say, hey, I, I, I'm going to repent. I, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And it's interesting. He denounced them because of the miracles that he had done. Now, if we were to go back and take the time to back, look back through Matthew, the few chapters that precede this, there's about 10 different miracles that he performed in these cities. Everything from healing a blind man to healing a, a person demon-possessed to even raising someone from the dead. And on and on he did these miracles, and yet people saw it and rejected him. People saw it and said, no, he is not God. No, he is not who he says he is. We don't think he, in fact, we think he's kind of crazy. And Jesus is saying, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And he keeps going. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. That's two of the cities. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, those were Gentile, non-Jewish cities, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If I did these miracles in some other place, people would have followed me. But I do them here and you reject me. That's wrong. And then he goes on the next few verses to say, and you need to be aware that judgment is coming. It came for some other cities. It's going to come for you. It's going to come for you people who have not repented, had not followed me, who have not trusted me. Now, in a sense, he's speaking of that ultimate judgment day. So what is he doing? He's doing what a good shepherd does. He's warning us. He's saying, you need to know that a day is coming when you will stand before God and you will answer for your sins. You will have to pay for those sins. That day is coming. Now, he doesn't go into detail what that's going to look like. He does that in other places. But here he just says that day is coming. But I think there's another element here. It's not just that kind of judgment. We need to understand that when we sin on a daily basis, we're not only going to ultimately stand before God, but also we face his disciplining hand, his hand of discipline. The Scripture says in Proverbs and in Hebrews, God those who God loves, he disciplines, just like a parent will discipline a child. When you love someone, when you care about them, you will discipline them. And when we sin, when we don't believe, when we don't repent, there's a payment that comes. There's a lack of fellowship with God. There's an uneasiness. There's a guilt. There's a, a frustration. And when we sin, we are offering ourselves 
to unrighteousness, and when we sin, it leads to more sin. And that's part of the the disciplining hand of God to say, hey, I don't want you to sin. I want you to follow me. I want you to believe in me and do what I say. So he warns us because he's a good shepherd. Now, how does he warn us? Well, (laughs) Scripture. About a month or so ago, I ran across a different and I think a much better translation of the Ten Commandments. We hear, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not, and that that thou shalt not almost sounds like it's for another place and another time. It really doesn't apply to us. A better way to translate it for our culture today and to really accurately describe that Hebrew nuance of when it was first written, it perhaps could be translated better this way. Never commit adultery or even nuance a little bit more, don't even think about committing adultery. Don't even think about lying. Don't even think about murdering. That's what the Sermon on the Mount did. Jesus said, committing adultery is wrong, but committing it in your heart, that's wrong too. And that's the sense of it. That's the warning that God gives us. It's not like he's saying, I'm going to push my will on you. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And you got to do it my way because I'm God and that's that. Now just shut up and do it my way. No. He's like a shepherd saying, don't get near that crevice. When you start committing adultery, you don't understand where that leads. It doesn't lead to anything good at all. Don't do that. Never do that. Stay away from that. And on and on. Ten Commandments, I mean, so many different commands he gives us. To be kind, to be generous. I mean, on and on we could go. Do these things because the Good Shepherd warns us that judgment is coming and discipline happens. It does. When we sin, there's consequences. We need to be aware of that. So he warns us. Years ago, I work construction, and part of the construction I did was to build uh, power lines, uh, some of the big ones, but also some of the smaller ones. It's very dangerous work. You've got to be careful because those power lines have got so much power. If you touch it the wrong way, you're gone. And one day I was, I was just a, a, a truck driver. I'd never climbed the poles and stuff like that. Um, but one day I was helping out, and we were pulling some wires and such like that, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go over here and pull this wire a certain way. And, and as I did it, man, I saw the foreman. His name was Bill. Don't remember his last name. We just called him Bill. I saw Bill coming at me like, whoo, I knew something was up. He came up to my face and said, don't you ever grab that wire like that again. See, what I didn't understand is the way that wire was connected and such like that, the way I was pulling it, it could have flipped around and hit the primary wire, as we call it, the main wire. If I hit that, it comes down, hits me, and I'm gone. He warned me sternly. He warned me because he cared about me. Jesus warns us. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Believe in me. Repent from your sins. Turn from that sin and believe in me. So Jesus, the good shepherd, he warns us. But also he does something else. Now, I'm jumping over some important verses that in the sense we're going to look at next week, Because next week we're going to look at how Jesus can be the Redeemer and a servant. How he can be the God-man. 
and we're going to find out at being the God-man, we're going to look at the meaning of it, we're going to look at the incredible mystery of that, and then we're going to talk about the ministry from those things. That's next week, because in these next verses, it talks about how Jesus has a special relationship to God. That Jesus, when he was here on the earth as a shepherd, had a very special relationship with God. And that's what those verses are talking about. So we'll come back to those next week. Not those exact verses, but similar verses. But now, look down at verse 28. Here's the other kind of shepherd that he is, or the other characteristic of him being a shepherd. Look at verse 28. Now, remember the warning. Firm, solid. But now, look at verse 28. Oh, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, the shepherd welcomes us. He welcomes us when we've blown it. He welcomes us when we have, have sinned. And it's not this scolding. It's the, 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 the one that says, please come to me. And I will give you rest. What do you mean by rest, Lord? What does that mean? To get to sleep or something like that? Well, no, not exactly. When the scriptures use that phrase rest, it means we can kind of relax. Wow, what do you mean? Well, part of what we want is what that shepherd Benjamin wanted. He wanted to be accepted by God. He wanted to be pure before God. I want to be pure before God. I want to be accepted by God. But I know that God is perfect. I know that God has warned me. And all the time, I get over by that crevice. I get over there way too often. And sometimes I slip in. And God doesn't want that. So how can I be accepted? How can I be at rest? And know that God has accepted me. Well, that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. When we trust Christ as our Savior, because he died on the cross to pay for our sins, all the sins that that we would have to pay for at judgment, Christ said, I'll take them. I'll put them on me so that we don't have to. And when we trust him as our Savior, our sins are not only forgiven, (laughs) but Scripture tells us that he gives us his righteousness. He gives us that purity, pure as a cloudless night sky with the stars sparkling, that purity he gives to us. It's not our own. It's from him. He can give it to us because he paid the price on the cross for our sins, and he gives us this purity so we can have that rest. We can be accepted by God. And he goes on and elaborates a bit more about it. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's this yoke? Well, a yoke was something they would put on an animal or they could even put it on a person to help them carry something. You've probably seen in some other uh, venues or movies or whatever, people carrying two water jugs kind of thing. They'll put a a bar across here so they can carry both of those. and and That's a yoke. Uh, animals would have a yoke so they can pull a plow kind of thing. And so Jesus is saying, yes, come to me, I'll give you rest. But he knows that we are made to do stuff. We're just not going to sit around and do nothing. 
I mean, we can sit around. At least we're going to watch football. We're going to, you know, we're just going to sit there. We'll be watching football. That takes a lot of work, by the way, to watch football. Amen. That's right. Especially if you're an Alabama-Auburn fan. My soul and body, I wore me out. Because uh, I'm not sure which one I am. We've got, you know, Thanos. Anyway, so we need to do more than just rest. Than just sit back and do nothing. We need to be doing something. And Christ says, I've got something for you to do. I want you to be working on your sanctification. I want you to be working on becoming more like me. That's my yoke. That's what I have for you to do. That's life that I want you to live. And it's it, my yoke is, is easy. What do you mean by easy? It fits me. God has something for me to do, for you to do, a yoke just for me, a yoke just for you. And that's how he made you. And he wants you to be doing stuff. He wants you to be working in his kingdom. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. What do you mean light? Well, the whole context of what he's been talking about is people were trying to live by the law. I've got to obey God, and if I don't obey God, I'm out of here. That's that. Uh, That's it. No. The reason his burden is light is because Jesus has paid the price for my acceptance to God. So I have something to do, but even when I get close to that crevice, God says, hey, I've paid the price. You're forgiven. One of those episodes that stands out in my mind, you have them in your life that stand out with my dad. My dad was a great dad in so many ways, and I know he probably scolded me at times, but uh, I don't remember that so much. And by the way, If you're away from the Lord, listen to what Jesus says here. Come to me, and I'm going to scold you for being so wrong and so out of fellowship and so messed up. Yeah, you come to me. I'll get things straight with you. No, no, no. I am humble and gentle. He wants you to come. He's eager for you to come. He's not going to scold you. He's going to welcome you. Back to my story. I was about 10, 11 years old, somewhere along in there. My friend and I were over at Gulfgate Mall. Back then, that was the big thing, kind of down in southeast Houston. And we were over there, and, you know, the parents said, go, you know, look at the toy store or whatever, but me back here at a certain time kind of thing. So my friend and I, we wandered on off, and we found this machine that, uh, you know, you put in a quarter or 50 cents or whatever it was, and you could make a little coin by pulling the lever like that, and it would, you know, the thing was you could put your name on that and put it on your keychain. That was the intent of it. Well, my friend and I, we decided we'd do something kind of rebellious. So we decided we'd put some interesting words on one of those coins. Words that we had heard had no idea what they meant. But, you know, we'd put some of these words on there kind of thing, and so we made that, and we'd get this little coin. Oh, how cool is that, man? Look at that. You know, put it in a pocket kind of thing, you know, go home and take a shower, throw your clothes in the dirty clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Mama finds it, and uh, Mama gives it to Daddy, and Daddy comes to Calvin and takes me in the back room, and he just pulled a coin out. And I just lost it. I was so embarrassed. I knew it was wrong, and I, I cried. He didn't have to spank me. I'd already been punished. <laughs> but I'll never forget. I don't remember what he said, but I'll never forget how welcoming he was. Calvin, that's okay. That's what Jesus does for you. It's okay. Come back. 
come to me. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, Jesus is waiting to welcome you. Today, right now, trust Him as your Savior. There's a part of you that wants to be pure. There's a part of you that wants to be clean before God. And that's God's Spirit working in you, letting you know that. And all you have to do is to trust Jesus as your Savior, to depend upon Him to make you right before God. Well, can you? Well, He not only is the good shepherd that came, He's the good shepherd that came and died for you and rose from the grave to prove He was God. Trust Him as your Savior today. Perhaps you have. But you've been walking really close to that crevice, and you know it. Maybe just in your thought life, you've been dabbling with some sins that you know are wrong, but man, they're fun, they're pleasurable, they're memories maybe that, and God says, no, stop it. I'm warning you, come back to me. Maybe your lifestyle is such that you know is wrong, and you need to come to him today. Is he going to scold you? No, he's going to welcome you. That's what he does. That's what he does for me. That's what he does for all of us. You see, the good shepherd warns and the good shepherd welcomes. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you, Jesus, that you indeed are the good shepherd and that you love us and you want us to come to you and you will come and you will be welcoming us however we come. We thank you for that, Lord. And now, just now, with your heads bowed and eyes still closed in the spirit of prayer, just take this moment to examine your heart. Have you trusted Christ as Savior? I mean, really said, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm guilty before you, but I am trusting you to make me right before God. If you've never taken that step, if you've never done that, do that right now. How can I do that right now? I'm sitting in the middle of a whole group of people. That's true, you are. But God is right there with you. And God knows your thoughts. God knows your mind. And just in the quietness of your own thoughts, you can cry out to him right this moment, Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. And he will welcome you. Now remaining in this quiet spirit, are you away from the Lord? Need to come back to him? Is there some sin you committed this week that just gnawing at you? Oh, my friend, just... Just turn to him and let him welcome you. Yes, repent of the sin. Yes, know that sin was wrong. But turn to him. He's the good shepherd. And he will welcome you. So Lord, work in our hearts. Draw us to you. Thank you that you are the good shepherd that warns me and welcomes me. We ask this through Jesus.